For the kingdom belongs to his sheep And your life is in the hands Of a God who never sleeps Hey, and welcome back to Tending Lambs. I'm Katie. I'm Sam. I'm Amanda. And on this episode, episode two of season four, we are talking about how to practically hold boundaries. I think this is something that honestly can, I don't want to say be overlooked in the GP sphere, but it definitely doesn't get enough attention, the practical side of what it looks like to hold boundaries with your kids in a gentle way. So I think it's a good, important episode for us to have, and I'm glad that you guys are here with me to talk about it. How are you guys? Sam, what's been going on? I have four small children, and (laughs) I'm with them all the time. Um, Not really that much. Um, My mom got a vendor spot at an antique store, and so I've been like, sort of in the business with that lately which has been kind of cool I don't have enough brain power to really do too much but I can find things and put them in the booth and it's been fun learning about like different different, like decor eras and the history of it and there's tons of tangents to go off on and (laughs) learn about yeah Um, I saw your pictures of that super cute stuff yeah it's cool yeah oh what about your uh I, this would be a good moment to plug your involvement with the Cameroon thing. Um, yeah, thank you so much for bringing that up, actually. Um, so for a few years now, there's been an ongoing conflict in Cameroon, and um, it's escalated into a genocide against the part of the population that is English-speaking, their Anglophone. And Cameroon is made up of Francophone regions and Anglophone regions, so French-speaking and English-speaking, and Anglophones are in the minority, and there's a lot of historical context that would take a while to explain, but um, right now there are thousands of Anglophones who are displaced, um, and a lot of them are actually in hiding um, in the bush in the Anglophone regions, and I have a friend uh, who's Anglophone, and I have been helping to run a support network and like relief fund uh, set up for him and a number of people from his home region, including his family. Uh, who he's trying to provide for. So everything from water filters to food to medical treatment. Um, So, yeah. I think we should put the info for that in the show notes for sure. That is so encouraging and would be greatly appreciated. Yeah, I hope it helps. Amanda, what is going on in your life? My two-year-old started swim lessons. So that's been fun. We're preparing for more exposure to bodies of water because some relatives are moving to the beach. So that's been adorable and really fun. And yeah, I'm transitioning to finding some childcare because I'm having, you know, just a lot more work and some health issues. So that's interesting too. I hate having to look for, just asking for help is hard, you know, realizing that you need it in whatever form you need it in is just hard and I'm bad at that and I'm trying I'm trying to be better so well it's hard feeling like you're not sure how to direct people almost yeah I hate having to be prepared yeah for people to help me 
Yeah, it's not I like you can just like lay down and die and people will all like come out and help and just have this intuitive <laughs> knowledge about everything. Like you have to actually like tell them stuff. And for me, that's when I get kind of like, oh, I don't know what to do. Yeah, I have the same problem. And right now I'm working through just figuring out what of that is like me being controlling because I tend to do that and what I'm willing to just let go of. And mm. also realizing that people are they will rise to the occasion. And I think part, I have issues with trust generally speaking. So I'm trying to just recognize that and, Mm. and have higher expectations of people because generally I I keep my expectations like very, very low. Mm. (laughs) So yeah, Yeah. just kind of reach out and, and trust a little bit more in that whole process of asking for help. That's good. That's tough work. It is. Yeah. Um, so why don't we jump in here and just talk about why we think and have found personally boundaries being so important and why this buzzword right now is actually one of the more important concepts that we could be addressing. Because I think it is. <laughs> Absolutely. The whole like boundaries and parenting thing kind of came up for me personally when I was learning about boundaries and just relationships in general. Um, I I don't think like my household that I came from (laughs) didn't have really great boundaries. Um, And so when I was learning about like boundaries in marriage and boundaries in friendships and boundaries with like your um, fellow church members and everything and friends and stuff, um, I started to realize that you know, you have a relationship with your kids too. And so boundaries are going to be foundational with that as well. And that, I mean, I'm responsible for creating the boundaries and holding them. And it's not, I mean, they're dependent. They're completely dependent on me doing that. Right. And that's kind of tricky because I, I tend to get more laid back if I'm more anxious or more stressed or stimulated or what have you um yeah just kind of tend to hang back and so I'm sure that looks a lot like permissive parenting honestly um so I've kind of had to watch for that but um but it, it really is interesting when you think about how like they need you to captain the ship as we say and mm. when you and uh, sometimes it feels kind of authoritarian to do that but realizing the difference between uh, or what the difference is between being authoritarian and authoritative. It's like totally the key in me understanding a lot of this. Yeah. yeah, I think because of so many of our backgrounds were pretty punitive. And e- even if our parents were a bit leaned more, you know, a little bit hippie or a little bit more um, permissive, like the general Christian culture around us was just really authoritarian. And so we all kind of like lean the other direction. Um, But I don't think that being really black and white about it and kind of going in either direction is really the right way to look at it. There is a, there is a way to communicate with people that is, and you know, with husbands and friends and children and stuff that is, um, respectful but also clear you know and 
you don't have to go from one extreme to the other is what I'm saying, I guess. And I think a lot of us tend that way. If I may be so bold to like speak for other people. Yeah. I feel like my experience was pretty much a pendulum swing of, you know, very much authoritarian legalism into very permissive, just like not neglectful. That was the hardest thing when I started doing gentle parenting, respectful parenting with my kids was like, what, what's a boundary? Like, I don't know. And that's really where I started learning about boundaries. And I'm very thankful because it led me to learn about boundaries with other people and seek to finally go to a therapist. And mm. boundaries has been, been a blessing, really. And it can feel so extreme at times, but then if you can just kind of set the boundary and then, I don't know, I feel like I can just rest like after, right. after that, you set the boundary and you can kind of rest in it and everybody's like, okay, so there's the boundary. And if we're consistent with it, then it's obviously like continuing expectation and it just doesn't leave as much room for the pendulum swinging, which I feel yeah. like I also <laughs> experienced. Right. I think one of the things that really helped me honestly was my, um, when I first started tending lambs, like back during the YouTube days, they, uh, I listened to a ton of Janet Lansbury and she helped me so, so much just understanding how, um, the calm collected, like resting in my position as parent and being able to say, no, I'm and and to empathize and say I'm sorry that upsets you, and to not be threatened by the protests. Basically, mm -hmm. that has really shaped and formed the way I approach boundaries with Calvin. Now, <laughs> that being said, there are days when I do things to avoid tantrums. That is just the way it is. You know, some days you just can't deal. Nobody's and, perfect. <laughs> right. Right. And when I avoid rather than do the thing I know I should do and allow the big feelings to come, you know. Um, but philosophically and generally, that has really shaped the way I approach things with them. And also, Amanda, I don't know if you've found this being a Montessori mom, uh, but as a Montessori mom and teacher, um, there are some areas of Montessori that I'm not, you know, we don't agree with all the things all the time, but I really, really appreciate uh, the approach to um, just expectations of children and their responsibilities in the classroom mm -hmm. and in life. Um, and very straightforward, very respectful, very, um, just matter of fact, and that I am not naturally a very matter of fact person. Um, and I'm not, it's not that I'm disrespectful, but I am the type of person that will like bounce around the point and try to be very flowery and nice and make things sound really pleasant. Mm -hmm. um, yes. It, you know, so that someone feel like they, 
they might feel like they want to do what I'm su suggesting, you know, <laughs> instead of just saying it. <laughs> um, I feel but, like, uh, a, like a learned thing. This is often a tangent maybe, but like, I feel like as women, we're kind of taught this and then also growing up where we have to have our parents, if you, if you grew up with very legalistic, very authoritarian parents, um, you know, you have to have them in a good position. You have to be flowery and persuasive. Like your negotiation skills have to be absolutely top notch. To well, get your manipulation <laughs> skills too. Well, maybe yeah, I'm going to say negotiation because <laughs> I'm a very good negotiator. <laughs> we'll just put it that way. We'll just put it that way. Yeah. I feel like having that dynamic, I still sometimes don't know when to stop. Like, pushing something and it, it's not out of necessarily like being selfish or um or disrespectful but it's just I'm I grew up having to negotiate and knowing that sometimes negotiation was how I got the thing or how I got through a certain um yep. Your like body season or yeah and so um yeah I always banked on it because yeah. all I knew what to do. And sometimes, I mean, it didn't go down so well, but then I would just try again the next time. The inconsistent. Yeah. It's just, that's the hardest part. And it's hard for me not to be inconsistent, um, especially when I feel like not uncomfortable with the kids' emotions because I'm offended by them, but because, you know, they're sad or they're mm. hurting or they're frustrated and you just kind of naturally want help um and there's just like a discomfort setting boundaries yeah. has allowed me to kind of sit with that discomfort instead of trying to hammer it out so there are quite a few examples and practical ways that this plays out that I really want to get into so uh but before we do I think there are a couple of things that just need to be reiterated for people that you know there are things that I think we know but they're the kind of things that we know that we know. And so we know them. And then, you know, pr practically in the moment, they don't always come. Uh, they don't always manifest. Why are you talking <laughs> about me like that? <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I, I say we, I, I really mean myself. <laughs> um, so one of the things that was, that was, that really struck me as I was going through and kind of doing this outline was that, um, boundaries just won't work if you aren't being respectful and you aren't modeling it. And I know, I know we say modeling all the time. Like that is like the first, that is the go-to. And I, I think for some people that really, really want the like, give it to me now, tell me how to do, fix this now that it's really frustrating. I get it. But it is absolutely the foundation like if the culture of your home, if the way that you generally interact with your kids is sarcastic or pushy or can, you know, be passive aggressive, any of those options, you know, there's a lot more, um, you're going to be getting that back. You know, we're, we're the grownups here and we set the tone, we set the culture. And if you are starting, I've seen so many people try and start in the middle mm -hmm. and start with the behavior and say, how do I fix this behavior? 
instead of addressing the underlying reasons for the behavior and the underlying culture of the home and the underlying way that the family interacts with each other, it's just not going to happen. You know, if you walk into a company and there's a lot of corruption, you're not going to, you're not going to stamp it out by bopping people on the head every time you catch someone slipping money under the table. It's a cultural problem that you have to kind of figure out where the root of it is. Uh, and it's usually in leadership um, and the way they're choosing to hire. I know we don't hire our kids, but the way they're choosing to make their decisions starts at the top. Um, and I just don't think people recognize that enough. It takes a lot of mindfulness. I think that's the thing, like when we came to gentle parenting, it didn't feel easy. Nothing was easy before that. Nothing was easy during that transition and things aren't necessarily easy now, but, um, and and I get that and everything, but gosh, the mindfulness aspect and remembering to be mindful has, Mm. I think been like, it's really hard. (laughs) It's so hard. Um, because you start to realize the way that you talk about yourself, the way that you talk to others around you, the way you talk to the kids, the way that you kind of share your perspective when you're narrating things that have to do with the kids. I mean, every little thing is an opportunity to be sarcastic or condescending or passive aggressive or to complain or nag. And it just, it just amazes me sometimes. Like I will say something and I think it's totally casual, like when it's coming out of my mouth and then I'm like, that was not helpful. Like that was emotive. That wasn't like, why did I even do that? And if I had, if, I mean, it's great when you have a spouse because everything that they do that is kind of wrong, uh, (laughs) you pick up on. So it's very convicting. Um, but I'll like, you know, I'll hear, um, my husband say something that sounds a little bit more passive aggressive and, uh, and talk with him about it. But then the next day I'll realize, is like, I'm kind of, I have characteristics that are kind of like that too. Mm-hmm. This just pops up. And I think it's well, a lot of it's how we were spoken to as well. Um, yeah. And how we were parented and the, and the culture that we're in. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Some humor is just pretty much all sarcasm. I feel like, yeah. I mean, in our house, we're still working through that and trying to stop modeling sarcasm. I'm always joking with my husband whenever either of us is sarcastic. I look at him and I'm like, we don't do sarcasm in our home. (laughs) We're both like, yep, working on it. (laughs) It's so hard. And I think a lot of times we say things that are sarcastic or we're a little bit more passive aggressive or just kind of careless. It's almost like there's this discomfort with whatever's going on Mm -hmm. and we're not handling it like straightforwardly, at least I could say that for me um (laughs) for sure though I think I recognize that yeah definitely (laughs) um that's actually mechanism (laughs) yeah yeah, yeah. there's the word (laughs) yeah well that's actually something that sarcasm as a whole topic that's something that Corne and I in the very beginning of our relationship both recognized that we really 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 dislike And we dislike it in particular between husbands and wives Mm -hmm. because it can be so biting and so like underhanded. And we just, 
made a commitment to each other to basically not be sarcastic with each other. And it, you know, to be fair, it, neither of us are particularly sarcastic people. We can every now and then get a little like, you know, have a little bit of it, but it comes a little bit easier to us is what I'm saying. So it's not like we're really like trying so hard, but it is something that I just recognized a long time ago that it is, it makes me very uncomfortable. You know, maybe this is, this is totally projection and totally on a side rant here, but I think it, most people are uncomfortable when they're employing sarcasm. I I don't feel like sarcasm comes from a really super comfortable place to begin with. And maybe that's projection. Maybe you guys, you know, Amanda, you're talking about you guys are super sarcastic. Maybe you can like correct me, but it doesn't ever feel super comfortable. It makes me feel a little awkward. (laughs) Sounds like somebody that doesn't use sarcasm very much. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. All right. Thank you for that. Okay. All right. So I'm just projecting basically. I mean, maybe not because I think that like, as I've started to heal myself emotionally, I have become more uncomfortable with sarcasm Mm. and what has helped me see that it's uncomfortable. I guess the connotation for me with sarcasm, a lot of times it is to put somebody down or to kind of cope with something that's uncomfortable or to fill the silence or just these kind of these things that aren't necessarily healthy ways of handling a situation. Like there's certain things that I'll say that are just totally like innocently non-targeted joking. There's like no way that I'm making fun of anything going on. And for some reason, like poet, my six-year-old will take it in a way where it feels personal to her. So I've had to really just be mindful of how I'm speaking around her. And I mean, there are times where I feel like maybe she's already frustrated. And so she kind of gets onto me almost um, and doesn't like what I'm saying because she's already frustrated. And I'm like, okay, like, well, that was a really like normal it. thing to say. Like, I'm not doing anything wrong. But um, she just but, doesn't like that you're joking. Is that what you're saying, Sam? Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. But like, it has helped me be a lot more mindful about how I'm joking with them and like, if they're receptive to that or if that's something that's off-putting to them or if Mm -hmm. they like need uh sincerity in the moment um because when poet has a problem like everything is really serious and that's totally fine and I like I have to come Mm -hmm. up beside her and sincerely interact with her to get her through the problem like there's no way to lightheart myself out of it and she can kind of take that a little personally uh, Mm -hmm. when I do it and it's not anything like like I said, I w- wouldn't be making fun of or putting anything down, but um, yeah. Yeah. I think some examples of where people tend to lose the boundaries is a good one and what to do instead. I, one of them, just to start with, most of these are actually for older kids because it's, been, it's what's on my mind now that I'm in an older class with older kids and we've talked so much about toddler stuff and just younger kids stuff. But this first one is for younger kids. And I think people um, can be overly attentive during tantrums Mm. and during uh, meltdowns are a little bit different, uh, but still maybe attentive isn't the right word, but overly like they're trying to placate. Fussy. 
yeah, overly fussy about it and like have a real problem just saying, I see you're having a hard time. Um, and just going about your business and not necessarily ignoring, um, but just taking it in stride basically and keep like continuing on with what you're doing. Um, rather not trying than, to control and stop the situation yeah. because it's uncomfortable. Yeah. And we don't realize we're doing it a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. You know, we're just trying to be there and help. We're just trying to comfort. We're just trying to whatever, but it's often that we're actually just really uncomfortable with it. And so we're like trying to comfort it out of them. Mm-hmm. And it feels really nice. You know, it feels like we're just being attentive parents. You know, I'm just being, uh, you know, giving connection when it's really, that right now your kid just has some stuff that they need to work through. And sometimes you can't help. Sometimes you just have to be there and understand and be like, you know what? I get it. This sucks. Um, Not understanding that results in a lot of power struggles too. Cause I mean, if you can't stop the situation and then it starts escalating to where you're stressed out too, I mean, kind of go in a couple different directions that are not so good. Yeah. I think actually that like, brings us really well to uh the next point which is like uh when kids are exhibiting (laughs) disrespectful language and other things that we can't physically control I think that's a really really hard point for people because they're used to coming at this parent uh child relationship from a standpoint of like of control of basically like I'm going to take this away from you to make you stop talking disrespectfully, or I'm going to spank you to make you stop disrespecting me. There's consequences um, for every fraction. Like that's like the rule. Punishments. Yeah. To be. Yeah. Even, sorry, yeah. yeah punishments is a better word. No, it's, a, it's okay. Uh, most people's conception or perception of consequences is punishments anyway. So, um, but yeah, I think um, the the reason people don't take as seriously the culture of their home and the paradigm shift and the connection building uh, is because they're, they are so used to just coming at it from like a, hey, how do I smack my kid into talking respectfully? And they want it to stop immediately. And they don't realize how things like disrespectful language are built culturally and it's not something that you can just smack out of them even if you have that at your disposal even if you are a punitive parent you know uh the disrespect is not something that you can just hit out of a kid it's just not especially with the issue of respect and disrespect is that there's so much social pressure too is like people Mm. will see your kid saying something a certain way and you know there's an entire context unfolding for you with whatever problem is going on and you kind of like working through it step by step with your kid if there's an issue and the people on the outside are hearing your kid being totally disrespectful and not seeing any problem solving or um parenting going on and the reaction to like every little thing yeah it's so over and I know when I'm more like when my anxiety is high or I'm just having a hard time or I'm more tired and every little thing seems like such a big thing it's exhausting 
everybody. And Mm. that's like a parenting style. That's, Mm. I mean, that's what I grew up with. Um, when my parents weren't burnt out from it, essentially was, you have to stop every single little thing. And it doesn't give you the opportunity to address what's actually going on. Like your kid might say something disrespectful and then you can connect with them and have an entire conversation and like work out some issues and reconcile and walk away peacefully. Like, but the only thing that other people will see is like, but they said something disrespectful. Like, aren't you going to do something? Right. Uh, Um, Amanda, how do you, in that, in that, like, think of an instance where you've been spoken to disrespectfully. How do you, um, do we have (laughs) as briefly as possible? Um, how do you address a situation like that? Honestly, this is still in process because, um, I, I have a five-year-old that has, you know, maybe more recently in the last year been exhibiting disrespectful language. And honestly, when it first started happening, I realized, um, she was being exposed to children who were older. Mm. Um, and then also at a certain point, especially when (laughs) COVID, we were not seeing those people as frequently. I just kind of realized that I was not probably modeling the way that I should. Having a disrespectful tone at times, I've just had to really work on that. But in terms of practically what I do, um, generally speaking, I try to respond with not the same tone. And I mean, when I'm doing it well, I'm responding gently and with patience. And this is not new to anyone. It's like, what, what would you do with someone that you've really, you know, loved and respected and was speaking disrespectfully? You're going to think the best of them and Mm -hmm. have empathy and um, just assume that they're not speaking this way to hurt you they're speaking this way because they are hurting and struggling with something Mm. this really this whole conversation kind of reminds me of clay clarkson in his book heartfelt discipline he talks a lot about um formula led discipline and i think that's why boundaries are so hard when you transition because you don't have a formula you shouldn't have a formula. Your family, your children, they don't fit into a formula. And that's why that does not work. And then you're like, well, boundaries, is that individual? Is it for our family? And it's yes and no. Um, You know, you start out building your culture and you kind of have your family boundaries that you set that everyone Mm. is familiar with. Like we're going to love each other. We're not going to physically hurt each other. We're going to speak respectfully. And then as your kids get older, you know, those boundaries are going to look different depending on, you know, are they driving? Are they, you know, do they have a job? All sorts of things where they are developmentally, you know. guys thanks for listening we had an awesome time talking about this subject and we went way over time so 
good news for us is it was enough content for two episodes and you too. So um, stay tuned for episode two, which is going to be the rest of our conversation. Thanks for listening, guys. Mm-hmm.